Greetings everyone. Welcome to the 12th episode of Material Analysis the podcast. This is the second part of the previous episode Kalparashtra as you would remember Kalparashtra was discussing the issue of nationalism at large and in particular the very pertinent issue of the so called abrogation of article 370 with respect to Jammu and Kashmir. We had promised you last episode that we would interview a lawyer who has been following this issue with regards to its constitutionality. We have a, a, such a lawyer with us today. We have Prasanna S, a delibious lawyer who has been uh, following this issue, who has opined on it, and we would be asking him a bunch of questions today. Prasanna, do introduce yourself to our audience. Hello, all. This is Prasanna, Delhi-based lawyer. I've been tracking this uh, issue of Article Three Seventy and its legality and constitutionality closely of late. So, Prasanna, uh, could you like let's start at the beginning? What is the relationship between the uh, between the instrument of accession, the Article Three Seventy, and its historicity? Because the Sangh has been claiming, and their public figures uh, have been claiming. that uh, this was a temporary thing that no big deal has happened and yet we have been hearing from some constitutional experts that that is not true so can you give us the historical context of all of this so when the instrument of accession was signed so it was signed at a time when uh, when maharaja hari singh statedly had not decided whether to either join pakistan or whether to uh, join india or to remain independent and by all accounts he is his uh, he lent towards remaining independent keeping any good distance from both pakistan and so but in 1947 at the time there was there were what were reported as invasions from uh, uh, what indian accounts say is actually pakistan army men in on leave so consisting of Uh, it was men consisting of afridis swatis and all of it and under that when kashmir was effectively under siege so that was when maharaja hari singh gave this instrument of accession and in terms of the instrument of accession he effectively said india will have control over uh, four matters effectively defense external affairs postal telegraph and communications uh, and and one other in and he and the accession also said in all other matters it doesn't even say but it it said suzerainty of the ruler does not cease so effectively he was the maharaja of jammu and kashmir even after the instrument of accession so to, to before you continue is this instrument of accession between india and this particular state was it in any way like is it is it is it similar to the other instruments which were being signed by the other princely state or was this something much more it was largely similar to those uh, that were signed by other princely states with one difference which was which was that later almost all of them signed a subsequent relaxation where acceptance of the constitution of india i do not think uh, Uh, Hari Singh signed that. In my, uh, I mean, in my reading the history, he did not. Hari Singh didn't sign that. So essentially, the other princes signed away those rights, and Hari Singh did not. 
So how how does how do we get from that point to the Article three seventy? So there were several events that that I mean there was a strong negotiation. See, Jammu and Kashmir was largely a Muslim majority state, but it had a Hindu rule. So there was a weakening of legitimacy of Hari Singh that was already happening because of the rise of Sheikh Abdullah, who was a socialist leader. Uh, he had founded the Jammu Kashmir National Conference uh, and. the declaration called the naya kashmir declaration had uh, with with socialist uh, vision had already uh, kind of been become very popular in the valley and other parts of the state <coughs> so he was seen as a mass leader but the suzerainties was still with the ruler therefore there was this tension between sheik and maharaja hari singh there was no question over the next 3 years and perhaps even 10 years until because 1950 is when indian constitution is made and 1957 is when the jammu and kashmir constitution is made so we see this tension play out in fact the negotiation of the terms of article 370 was actually led by sheikh abdullah on the kashmir side who's not the maharaja or the maharaja's uh, son or any one of that sort part of the reason is that uh, over the next I mean, between 1947 and 1950, 1950, Maharaja's position as a ruler had considerably weakened. So, in fact, he had entrusted <laughs> his power and functions to his son. So, what we are saying is that, unlike uh, what the current administration is trying to portray, the this was a negotiated thing. It was not something cavalierly entered, and it no, was no. not something which was. Uh, the way they are portraying it temporary uh, no, no, no. thing it was temporary at the time it was made because so article 373 thus i mean the 370 the marginal note in the constitution clearly said it was a temporary thing 373 had the mechanism by which 370 ceases to operate and what is that mechanism that mechanism is when the constituent assembly of jammu and kashmir makes a determination as to what should be its relation with india why so to that, that extent ne- why so did that never happen why was the constituent assembly folded before a decision on of- no there was, so this was not on the table part of the okay. reason was that the constituent assembly effectively decided to remain within the union of india and the constituent assembly also decided that there this does not require so this this uh, i mean the uh, the relative special status of jammu and kashmir and remained with the indian constitution they well remained the same so they uh, chose a status quo is position and folded up shop and we have been at that no it was not even uh, i mean in the sense there was no status quo sense not as if a status quo that had that had been established for centuries right e- even that status quo was a negotiated position right and say so they were happy with that negotiated position right there is a special status but in the rest of the uh, uh, things india uh, the indian union would have uh, primacy for example difference in foreign affairs and so, all this so you are a lawyer i would not ask you political questions like what were the people thinking about this whole process etc and was india's position that you know that pakistan was essentially an interloper was it even a fair representation of what actually happened but my question to you and because you are a lawyer is that the way it has been done recently where uh, certain terms constitutional assembly being changed to legislative uh, assembly uh, but there is no legis what is your considered opinion on that can they use that can they like change 
verbiage in another article to reflect changes in a completely in different another. article how does that work you see it is not as if it is not done before okay. 367 actually the, the if you look at 367 the title of the article is interpretation so how does one interpret words in the constitution so, but it does not have a list of definitions okay. that comes elsewhere right in the constitution it comes in 355 or 395 or some other another article that says that has the definitions clause with an interpretation clause it says what are the rules of interpretation for example it says the general clauses act applies and there they've changed now to say constituent assembly means legislative assembly see it is uh, it is an unconventional thing to do but it is not as if it is not done it has not been done earlier or it can ever be done with a limit to it there is a limit to this kind of fictionalizing you say e a equals b in mean, law you all the time you say that you say a means and includes b and c you know c is completely different and you say well, there are something called deeming provisions right to say that uh, if under law you can say that if this particular application of yours does not reach by 5 pm on the 31st of october it is deemed to have not been sent at all if the if your return is not filed by 31st of march so, particular so year it is, is deemed to have not been filed at all so what is the limit so of these are these yes that's the question so, so that is a question that will be before the court so what is the limit to what extent can you take because from what i am understanding right now is that like you could theoretically do this to have anything mean anything yes yes exactly you can and, say anything can mean anything and even for example there are certain powers that are not with the parliament under the constitution okay. those powers are only with the states but they can say for example for example public sanitation public sanitation is clearly a list two item which is like a power of the state they can now have a swachh bharat act and effectively say this is you know we declare that this is deemed to have been passed under not under public sanitation by appropriation and from consolidated fund how is that possible prasanna so like, that's the, see this is a device this deeming deeming fiction or a legal fiction is a device that is available right, for law right, right, right so what is the limitations of that device is a question that has to be decided on a case to case basis and i'm sure in this case the court will decide that in our view in our view this this is a colorable device and it has effectively conferred powers on the legislative assembly that it did not have and the legislative that assembly conferment of power is not a mere interpretative thing but it is a substantive change and that and, substantive and, change and, and that legislative assembly also does not exist it's it was under president's rule when this happened yeah so that's another option. that's another uh aspect to it whether even assuming that the constituent assembly can be redefined to mean legislative assembly whether powers such as giving concurrence to the alteration of the relationship between the state and the union and these are two can be taken over by the union itself. yes the, these yeah. are two separate two questions separate the questions. question of whether this reinterpretation can be done and whether even if that were to be constitutionally valid that uh, absence of that that doing the governor rather than the legislative assembly thing but doesn't uh, doesn't 370 itself say that the latter is 
like you can't actually have that without a legislative assembly there's a clause of 370 which tries to prevent no. this so it says uh, 373 mm. says no modification to this article mm. can be done without the concurrence of the constituent assembly right and this constituent assembly was become... redefined to be legislative assembly right under 356 all powers and functions of the legislative assembly are exercised by parliament because there is precedence rule now because there is no legislative assembly right so constituent assembly said you've now made this powers to vest in the legislative assembly already powers are vest that vested the legislative assembly now vest in the parliament now therefore these powers were that were with the constituent assembly of jammu and kashmir now is with the legislative is the parliament of india right so this is what so these two devices of 356 and the interpretation clause under 367 have been used to appropriate power constituent power that was originally vested only with the constitutional assembly in india's parliament so what are the challenges that can be so from what i've heard from you there are two different challenges just on the basis of the discussion we have had can this uh, reinterpretation be made and can this zeroth law of transference of power can that happen but what other things on this are being challenged See, there are several one most important mm. is that even for the redefinition mm. they needed to have consent of the state government ah so there is no state government right our reading is that that consent can be given only by a popularly elected state government but you just that said that the state government is essentially equivalent to the governor in precedence rule no right so that is that is how the government of india is interpreting it okay the court may give may very well give another interpretation i see right mm. our interpretation my reading certainly on a personal level mm. is that if it is in a matter such as the relationship between federal relationship between the state and the center mm. consent of the government necessarily means consent of a popularly elected government right because democracy because under india's preamble india's indian constitution's preamble it says democracy as one of the preambular values right india we the people constitute india as a sovereign socialist secular democratic republic right so democracy is a preambular value and it has also been held to be a basic feature of our constitution and it destroying democracy destroys the basic structure of the constitution in trying to take governor from uh, consent from a governor who is effectively an appointee of the center the expression uh, the will of the people of jammu and kashmir finds no expression in that consent such a consent cannot be valid under the indian constitution ah so you are saying that even if all this reinterpretation thing amajigari were to be valid the fact that it was done without the consent of a popularly elected government, government renders it a problem when you look at the basic structure of the indian constitution for which democracy is a fundamental pillar correct and and we at the podcast also held that we, we had said essentially the same thing that the this is essentially unconstitutional uh, unconsensual because it does not take into account what the people of jammu and kashmir correct. want the very fundamental uh basis of civilized democracy which is the right of self determination exactly um right and if it had been provided by a popularly elected government actually a much of the technical mumbo jumbo that we 
that we have yes uh, may not even have come into play right in the sense that it would not have been such a big issue so of course the position at the podcast panel is that the technical mumbo jumbo is because these people are acting in bad faith that is how we are interpreting it from our lay person non legal standpoint but we hope that the the highest court also looks at it and takes a decision which which sort of safeguards democracy in the country which we believe to be a fundamental uh, fundamental characteristic which which needs to be preserved and and the perhaps the only safeguard the people have um i have another question to you we both have been like people who discuss these things sort of have an idea of what the basic structure is but often lay people have a very distorted idea and they think it's some sort of extra democratic whatever whatever thing which the court sort of made could you explain very simply what is this basic structure and why is it important to preserve it so basic structure doctrine uh came with the keshavanand bharti case in 1973 so keshavanand before keshavanand bharti there was a view that the indian parliament's power to amend its constitution was unlimited okay so it said parliament had the supremacy because the constitution itself gave parliament amending powers and from the text of the constitution it was not clear as though there if there was any limitations on the amending power of the in 1967 it was seriously challenged and a 11 judge bench of the court took a view that the fundamental rights chapter the bill of rights under the constitution was effectively unamendable and that those fundamental the fundamental rights chapter also operated as limitations against amending power of the parliament and that is why justice subarauzo no i mean it was a it was a very brief judgment very insightful judgment where he said see for amending the constitution you need a special majority of just 2/3 of parliament to be sitting even with a unanimously passed regular law you couldn't have infringed fundamental rights even if it's a, with a 100% majority right it has to naturally follow that the constitution makers would not allow just by a 2/3 majority amending the very fundamental rights chapter yes you see that's a that's a simple simple he said okay if with a smaller majority you couldn't do what even the 100% could do right so therefore that part of the constitution is unamendable and those every amendment will have to be tested on those if this was changed later in keshavanand bharti oh. by a 13 judge bench where i said no no fundamental rights are not the entire chapter is not unamendable but even within the fundamental rights and the rest of the constitution you take what is called a synoptic view of the provisions of the constitution and gather what is the basic structure of the constitution and how do you gather what is the basic structure of the constitution you enumerate its basic features republicanism is a basic feature democracy is a basic feature federalism is a basic feature well in the case of kashmir right now with this 370 i would say that not just democracy but federalism is also under assault in a way because Correct. of the way this was done okay and if they could do this with one state which had special power which had its own flag which had its own constitution yeah. what say protect states which have much less rights and which are essentially no, i mean that's that's a legitimate question to ask so legitimate question to ask i mean if see india's understanding of federalism has always been a pluralist one yes. we've had a special 
relationship with i mean we have on specific terms with different states yes right? india's relationship with nagaland nagaland has a certain covenant to it india's relationship with andhra pradesh telangana has a certain covenant to it under the constitution with maharashtra and gujarat there is a certain covenant please do talk about that like most people probably don't know article 371 has specific provisions for maharashtra and gujarat where you need to say there is and it says special measures for vidarbha region which is uh, that is there in article 371 for instance right so there are specific covenants in india's relationship with many of her states so this completely punctures the political the, rhetoric right now yes. that the idea is to make one constitution one country wherein as you are saying there are these relationships are embedded in the it's asymmetric federalism right you Correct. have yes. this asymmetries this this respecting and nurturing these asymmetries is a basic feature of india's constitution and if it is if that is and a basic feature that, that is, has been violated that has been violated that is and that is something that the court will take a view on now my question to you, and this is this is a hard question because you are a lawyer not a politician but recently we have seen other things as well with the highest court of the land things related to the nrc and and other things what if the like and your considered opinion is that it is an assault on democracy and federalism of assaults mm. but, but what if the court doesn't see it that way what if the highest court of the land does not agree and there is no other way to challenge this what sort of precedent will that set and and how do we even legally think about that scenario it is i mean it is a problematic uh, uh, question we've had i mean indian supreme court as rightly or wrongly fortunately unfortunately has had a mixed record as far as protecting these basic values and people have a right to feel people are perhaps justified to feel that it is increasingly mixed but mixed on the side of uh, pro government and anti people right and uh, and therefore i mean it is it is uh, i mean as to very difficult to predict what the court will do in a particular in case the the apprehension is not ill founded uh, yeah we wanted to know whether we are not just you know throwing a hot steam into the air and that our concerns are that this this not only by itself is a is a horrible thing for the people who live in the valley who have been in essentially deprived of their rights in the last 8 9 days but it's going to set a precedent which would be terrible for all the people who live in the union Mm. and as far as the people in the valley are concerned and the way 144 has been used the way they have been blocked you are a lawyer like does this not violate their very basic rights as citizens like how do we even look at the way this has the, the way it has been done on the ground the sort of arbitrary use of force that has been done we don't even know what's going on there they their representatives have not been allowed to speak and recently some rather random arrests have been made so it is it is deeply concerning it is uh, it's particularly concerning if the people who've been proud of india's democratic record in general otherwise in fact a related matter came up for hearing today that is the 16th 16th august came up for hearing on 16th august and <coughs> because the judges had read news reports saying that over the weekend almost all restrictions would be lifted uh, there's some hope so therefore that petition was adjourned it was filed by anuradha basan one of the uh, he she's 
an editor of a leading newspaper in Kashmir, in Jammu and Kashmir, the Kashmir Times. Uh, her paper could not be published for over a week. And now she publishes only from Jammu and Srinagar editions not getting published because there's still significant restrictions, etc. So she had petitioned the Supreme Court asking for rights to, for, her, for her reporters to move around and get stories off and get the publication off the ground. Fortunately, that needs to wait a little longer. But un- until the media there is free, we will never get to know what what's really happening. We should, we should reserve our judgment on what is happening there for the moment. Right. And try and get the press its, its way in. And uh, that should be the singular focus of a lot of the human rights organizations that are working there. If the press gets in, at least we get the stories out. Jean Dress said the same thing. That their team went there, Jean Dress and a few other activists, Kavita Krishnan. Right. And they basically said that the duty right now of every single journalist worth their salt is to rush to the valley with whatever resources they have. Final question. The way they broke up that state into two union territories. Do you have any comments on that? Like, is there like is that even valid? Like, they just took a state, broke it into two parts under president's rule. Under the constitution, first of all, you need to have a statutory resolution. Right. Where the state can express its views. Yes, that, all it's and no views have been expressed. No views could not have been. There's no state touch. Because there is no state. And more importantly, let's assume that the legislative assembly does not exist. Right. The legislative council is still functioning. Because Jammu and Kashmir is has a bicameral... Yes, it has a legislative uh, council. legislative council. It is not dissolved. Right. The members are still intact. Right. There is nothing that prevented the governor right. from calling a session of the legislative council, pass this resolution and ask their views on it. Right. Right. At least to the extent that their views are there. Right. Right. Whether you honor their views or not is a different question. Right. At least to the extent that they can express their they views. They didn't even try to like put a show. There's no. So in the sense that... It, we need to look at all these three, whether it is 370 abrogation or reorganization, all of these three cumulatively as parts of the same transaction. Right. It is to abrogate 370 and make it in a way that it is permanent. The abrogation is permanent. Right. So once the reorganization takes into effect, effect of the state is split into two and therefore it is going to be very difficult to get it back to the one state. Yes. So... Thank you for uh, giving me your precious time. You are a lawyer and your time is money. I want to like summarize the points finally. So there are a couple of questions which we have which would go in front of the quotes from what I'm hearing. One is of course the way the, so, so the definitional work that was done, like the way the phrases have been changed. The another was that even if changing those phrases were constitutional, it was done without the presence of a state government and it was done via the governor and that violates the whole idea of consent, democratic consent by the people of the people. Then the third part is that the way it was broken, the last part we we talked about that it was done without a statute, it it was done without the advice of the legislative council which was still operative even if the legislative assembly was not there. So a complete and utter contempt for federalism that in the authorities from the states were not even listened to and then the fourth point that the propaganda that is being done that 317 is in a sense temporary and ephemeral yes it was but then it was a negotiated position and there was a covenant of sorts wherein certain rights and privileges were accorded to the state and they have been snatched back and also without the, the concurrence without the concurrence and we, and also the, the the propaganda says that it was a 
solitary case and that removing it gives us a, a flat, uh, flat uh, federalism that is not true. The federalism of India is asymmetric and various states have had various governance according to their historical conditions. And final point which, which you said and which a lot of other uh, people, uh, journalists, activists have said, Rodgers has recently said, is that the only thing we can do right now is to get is to try to get information and the only way to get it is to get journalists inside that state and right now we have to fight the information blockade right. that these people have uh, established. Thank you so much yeah. Prasanna for talking with us uh, uh, and we hope that the audience uh, sort of uh, thinks deeply about these points, about how the, the, the whole idea of the, cons, the consent of the governed, the, the self-determination of the people, the democracy is a, is, a, is a basic pillar of our constitution. It can't be, it can't be taken away whether by two-thirds majority or 100% majority or whatever. Um, we, we hope that the court takes uh, a similar view of the matter because if it doesn't, we have a long and hard struggle as civilians in front of us. Um, we hope that the audience have liked our episode. If you have questions, please do uh, write, uh, write comments on our SoundCloud. Please uh, share this episode. Follow us on our Twitter handle at analysis, uh, um, at analysis pod. And uh, our uh, SoundCloud is material analysis. We are on all other platforms. Um, um, thank you. Goodbye.